Caroline Davis, uh, saxophonist, flutist, composer, improviser, uh, educator, researcher. Anything else? <laughs> you got it. Got all of it. That's all cool. So, um, looking forward to talking about your new album, Portals, and uh, a bunch of other stuff. Um, before we get to that, though, I just wanted to ask my sort of icebreaker question. That I always ask everybody to get a visceral window into your soul, and that's: Can you tell me about? Uh, coffee in your life and I, I hear that you do espressos yes I love espresso so much I didn't start drinking coffee till probably I don't know maybe five years ago it wasn't a thing for hmm. me and, and I actually never liked it because of the coffee itself and that sounds really maybe privileged but the first time I ever had it and was interested in it my dad encouraged me to get this espresso in Italy, you know, because mm -hmm. he was living in Switzerland and it was very close to the border. So we drove there and um, had a, had an espresso and I was like, wow, this is what coffee tastes like. <laughs> <laughs> and I just didn't really know. Um, and so then, and then I tried to go back to drinking coffee or I tried to go back and have a coffee and and I was like, this isn't what coffee tastes like. And then I realized, oh, espresso and coffee are different things and they have different caffeine content. And um, so then I got an espresso machine in the pandemic and we've been nice. making shots. And it's really um, a science. Absolutely, yeah. I know about that too, but, um, and my partner has been teaching me a lot. He knows more than me, but like make sure that you use the scale to measure out all of the grinds and <laughs> so sure y'all are serious <laughs> yeah and and the grinder we have is okay it's probably like middle of the line we should get a better grinder um, but it's middle middle of the line because we could just get that with the funds that we had um but yeah we we weigh out the stuff and we try to get the fresh grounds or correct fresh beans and it's really amazing how older beans are a certain weight i'm just starting to get into that mm -hmm. um do you have like a roaster that you like Actually, no, I haven't really checked out the roasters around here, but I should. I should. We get our coffee beans. Um, sometimes we get the Cafe Grumpy. They're at the co-op that we go to in Park Slope. Nice. Window. <laughs> People are starting to do construction. Um, but yeah, we, we get it at our co-op, and I think sometimes it's Brooklyn Roasting Company. And then wherever Cafe Grumpy gets their beans, sometimes we'll splurge and get those. But... Yeah, a friend of mine who's an incredible bass player, Michael Bates, maybe you've heard of him. He mm -hmm. has a coffee grinder, he, sorry, roasting, um, he has roasts his own beans in his house, which is amazing. So I'm still kind of waiting to taste, try those. Nice. Yeah, I, I love the the sort of coffee nerddom. Uh, so I'm glad that y'all are using a scale and doing it right and stuff. Um, We're trying, cool. <laughs> you know, maybe someday we'll get more fancy, but... <laughs> Well, okay. I guess we can uh, we can talk about music too. So, uh, uh, so your new album, Portals, uh, Volume One, and Morning. I, I'm just first of all curious: is there like a Volume Two in the works already, or um, is it kind of like a placeholder uh, to put a volume on it? I'm gonna do Volume Two, and I have another record that I've recorded already, but it's not Volume Two for Portals. This is a different project with Val Janti and Chris Tordini and Taishan Sori. Um, and I'm hoping also to involve Kasim Nakvi on some of the overdubs for Modular Synth. So that's like a different kind of a album based on all of the freedom fighters I've been following over the years. But anyway, Volume 2, I'm working on currently sketching ideas. And I'll be working with Nicole Mitchell on the compositions. And so I was able to get this grant through Chamber Music America to work with her to... Nice help shape my compositions and as a mentor and um so that volume i would like to feature different vocalists and still the same band that i have now with marquise hill and julian shore and chris tordini and alan bendard but yeah awesome cool. you coming <laughs> well um so the album you know is it's an album of mourning and that's like a very rich sort of emotional space and like I've been trying to explain uh, musical set theory to my dad and um, trying to like be like, you know, it's not about like majors happy and minors sad. It's about like these like different shapes of triangles and stuff. And so like, I feel like, you know, you have influence from psychology and all that. So I'm curious, how do you map sort of like a complex and rich uh, emotional landscape into the music 
Um, I mean, that's a big question, but I'm just curious where that could, you know, makes your mind go. Oh, yeah. Well, I think a lot of that, where I came from for that record was me processing this grief in this in a certain way and I didn't realize I feel like sometimes we get into spaces and we don't know what's going on and it's very confusing but then later we understand we understand better what was going on and for me I started I was journaling a lot and thinking about um, how grief is a texture so mm. I was kind of thinking about like prickly I was let the end texture was prickly and then sort of early on it was really soft for me and like very plush and lush and the feeling of that joy of feeling soft pillows and soft that was really helpful at the beginning stages for me and then I was really interested in like touching roughness and it sounds kind of um like self self pain inflicting but like rubbing my hand up against a rock or just kind of shredding mm -hmm. a little bit in, into my hand which is yeah I mean it just for some reason and I know a lot of people who deal with like depression and um you know in in moments where they do want to hurt themselves it's to sort of like subdue the other pain that they're experiencing and so mm -hmm. it kind of thought about that in that stage of me feeling you know grief for my dad's passing and um and then there was this sort of thing where i really wanted to be in water which happens to me a lot like i really want to be inside water i want to take a bath i want to go swimming i want to go into the ocean i want to put my hand in water um, and so those four textures were really dominating the emotional state space of where I was, if that makes sense. Cool. Yeah. So the four textures are water, plushness, prickliness, and, or like harsh. So, so it was, okay. yeah, to me it was oh, the coarseness of the, like soft. the rock. Yeah. Soft and prickly and slippery was the, yeah. Slippery, wet, and then okay. rough and hard stone kind of stuff. And so I tried to put some of those elements in the album, but it's not very more, more that was a, that's a performative thing for me. So I'm working on using that model in our performance. And so we had one show with the whole ensemble and we were using a set design, which was great. And those fabrics in the set design. Oh, and very cool. I plan to do another performance in December where we'll be more specifically working with other fabrics in the performance of the pieces. So, and this will be able to be spread out more because we'll be at roulette. So it's going to be a huge space and we'll be able to do that there. Um, but yeah, for me, the emotive state of music comes in the form of texture or density. So something can be, um, I guess a lot of people or some people think about happy and sad, but for me, it's more like heavy or light or i mean if you want to think in terms of binaries but i'm also trying to as the rest of the world is step away right. from binary model <laughs> so i'm trying to sort of think about things as a spectrum of experience gotcha. so um this is kind of veering towards the the harshness or this is veering towards the density of an experience or this is de dealing and moving towards the lightness of an experience, but I'm still kind of in the middle. And so I'm trying to vary my understanding of the state in terms of like spectrum instead of I'm all the way over here or over here. Right. And that has a lot to do with sort of my foray into my dad was Buddhist. And so I'm trying to understand okay. a little bit more of that, but like this middle path, that concept of the middle path of being centered where you have a moment where you're going to totally lose it over here. <laughs> and then over here, you're really on high, you're happy and you're feeling good. But the middle, trying not to like veer in either direction and just kind of just staying in the middle, but that's so hard. So mm -hmm. totally. Um, and emotionally. Yeah. Uh, it, when you say like textural, I guess I think of like timbre. Um, and so I'm curious on like the, the level of like pitches and like organizing uh, sort of like formal stuff uh, instead of like, you know, just like the, the texture of the timbre. Um, it, does that influence like your selection of tones, for instance, or like how do you think about how that influences harmony? Well, yeah. I, wow. Yeah, that's such a good question because there's so much there. And for me, I, I kind of think about that world when I'm more dealing with electronic music or mm -hmm. if I'm working with like a synthesizer um, in this other project, Alula, that was really great because I was able to use, um, Matt Mitchell was using the Prophet for for 
playing in that band and I have one here well actually it's my partner's but it's right here below <laughs> so I like to there's so many there's like hundreds of patches on that instrument and each one has a different sort of profile but I also have started um, you know I'll be in Pro Tools and I want to create a track or I'm working on a track right now with this oscillations project for for dancers and what I've been doing is generating I'll generate like a tone a sign tone and um, and yeah, with those, you have a lot of control because all of the harmonic frequencies are sort of flatlined into mm -hmm. one. Um, like if you were looking at the Fourier transformation, it would just be like, you know, all of the bars would be the same. Um, I believe they would all be the same, of the same value. Um, but it's helpful for me to hear those frequencies in relation to the oscillation project because then I can understand what frequencies are considered to be what what frequencies sound like to us that mm -hmm. are happening that are sort of happening in here in the brain totally. now i'm sort of getting into that world and i'm got lost on your question that's <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm just uh, interested to hear you talk about it um uh okay so i i guess i was uh yeah i i was gonna ask about omar Hayam, but uh, i'm curious to hear you talk about oscillation type stuff and uh you know, uh, like the brainwaves thing and, uh, you know, like there's so much to that in like the phenomenology of different, like, you know, alpha versus beta. And, um, yeah, so it's interesting to hear you mention the Fourier transform and stuff. Um, okay. Well, yeah, I know I'm, now I'm lost on it too, but, uh, yeah, I uh was so what, cause I wanted to go back to your question cause I can't remember what your question was before. But anyway, uh, it's all... texture and oh, yeah. selection of tones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah. So I guess, yes, I, I've been thinking about um, how I could potentially, well, yeah, I mean, anyone can do this, but create tones with different profile, a uh, different Fourier profile so that you can feel the harshness of a tone because this overtone is louder and all kinds of people already have done this it's just fun to sort of do it yourself and explore because that is how we get timbre is that mm -hmm. this harmonic frequency is somehow you know this the third harmonic frequency is louder and so you're hearing this um texture or this timbre you know mm -hmm. um so in your oscillation series you know like you have these little graphs of like the polyrhythms and stuff and um i feel like a while ago i was like oh yeah man polyrhythms are like chords and like you know it's like the same stuff largely um do you feel like you think of th these oscillations like that like they're kind of like very slow chords um or like is it derived from rhythm in your mind or is it like totally separate yeah i think well i think there's um there's only a certain degree that you can sort of make these claims because the thing is that mm -hmm. i'm also i have i'm dealing in the pitch realm and so all of that affects how people are perceiving things so the melodies are influencing you yeah if you if i just had clicks and i just had the interactions of clicks that were potentially sounding like the clicks were potentially sounding like what's going on in the brain yeah i'm not sure about how i could transform that or create that sound but anyway if i just had clicks then it might be more like the experience of like a brainwave in isolation you know and mm -hmm. then i and because I, I was taught i went to visit a friend of mine's lab at the university of connecticut in stores and he, his name is ed large and he's doing really wonderful work there he has a lab there called the music dynamics lab and dynamical systems so they're treating the activity of the brain and how it interacts with the world as a dynamic system so it's constantly shifting and moving um and what was exciting to me to talk to him about is the papers that he's working on now in collaboration with another researcher psyche louis who is in boston they're working to see how gamma frequencies played to people's ears as they're also listening to music at the same time mm -hmm. So you're listening to your music, but then you also have this gamma frequency, which is super low. It's like 30. It, like, you know, is gamma 30-ish? Yeah, it's, well, gamma has like low gamma, high, middle gamma, and high gamma. Gamma can kind of go, I feel like could probably go up to like in the 40s hertz. Okay. 
see different things all over the place, but I think it starts somewhere in the 20s and goes up to somewhere in the 40s, but it's unclear sometimes these buckets of frequencies because they're all called different things and some people right. have different ideas. So uh, anyway, but they're playing that frequency as they're listening to other music and who they're working with are patients who have Alzheimer's. And what they're seeing is that they're starting to recover certain memories that they weren't able to before. And so they're using gamma frequencies as what they call music-based intervention. So it's a sort of healing technique for people who have this condition. And that is super exciting because yeah. for Ed, I've seen so much work coming out of his lab. And that's so exciting to me. But then a lot of people, it kind of gets missed by the general public because a lot of people maybe don't, won't, don't understand it or they don't know how it could be applied to a clinical situation because that's usually what people want to see, you know, and that's mm -hmm. usually what the funding, the people who fund these research experiments want to see. So, I mean, just to kind of give you, which is an interesting idea to me to, that all of this research stuff is kind of getting funded by benefactors and people who are interested, but they want to know how, you know, it's going to help people, which is good, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I also think there's a lot of other stuff going on in that world that is inaccessible to a lot of people because they just, don't understand or they don't know how to understand. So this is exciting to me. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Hamilton Morris. Uh, the like uh, He's like a journalist that talks about like psychedelics and various uh, psychoactive things. But he has this whole routine that he does about like drug legality where he replaces drugs with music. And he's like, this is so ridiculous because if you talk about it in terms of music, it sounds absurd. Um, and the idea that music could like actually be an like an effective or affective uh technology like that to like be therapeutic is i feel like when i first heard of that idea i was like oh yeah but now it's like yeah absolutely it can be so um that's really cool to hear about the gamma waves uh having some sort of recovery effect yeah uh, this person is taking um is looking into like what kind like psycho psycho like the mushroom kind of people yeah just like all sorts of psychoactive compounds um but yeah like i mean he's very into like the legalization of everything and uh it, it's it's just funny to put it in terms of music like you know man we're all sitting around listening to music like you know we're just like not leaving the house just sitting around listening to music all day and like yeah yeah that's, that's much different than sitting around doing drugs all day but uh you know, in, in some ways it's uh similar yeah, I think it is because it allows certain electrical patterns to occur when mm -hmm. you're on these um, psychotropic experiences, then because it's a, it's just changing the chemistry. And so then changing the neurochemistry. So then I don't know the science behind that stuff, but I've read a, a couple things, but I feel like it helps then to change the rhythm of what's going on in there. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if it's generally like faster or slower or just more quick between different areas of the brain or is it um slower in certain regard or does it take longer to travel and yeah all those questions are something i would love to look into because i know people are pushing for um micro dosing and things like that to help with certain conditions mm -hmm. that people have especially like on the side of depression i've, I've been noticing that micro dosing is like a lot of people are pushing for that Mm -hmm. um yeah, a lot of money to be made in that world uh I, I like the idea of just like sort of giving somebody a frequency though instead like uh like pharma co frequency i don't know uh, but anyway uh yeah so and, you know, people do that i think people do that with these binaural beats but the mm -hmm. issue with the binaural beats I, I feel like is that it's usually coupled with some kind of other you know calming music and then um I, i'm not sure always about the variability of veritability if it's ver um if it's veritable <laughs> if it's true that these frequencies are coming through underneath this other kind of music and then also um just sort of like sometimes i just want to listen to uh this frequency and it's hard to find an app that will give you that you usually have an app that will give you the frequency plus water yeah yes or plus like you know rain, or, and, yeah. Or rain, or rain yeah like yeah. things like which is fine. I mean, I'm not knocking it. It's just mm -hmm. wasn't something I was looking for. So I just yeah, downloaded I could... frequency generator. 
I feel like I'm with you on that, and I just want the the raw materials and uh, without the sort of like uh, you know new age uh, accompaniment. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think what, it helps, that helps some people, you know. So I, I wouldn't knock it, you know. For sure, yeah. Um, when you talked about these uh, gamma waves having like a restorative effect, is that like like an interference type of binaural thing, or is it just literally the frequency? I think it's literally the frequency. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the concept behind binaural beats is that you're listening to two frequencies, right, in each, one in each ear, and then you hear the difference tone, um, or you experience the difference tone. But, um, but yeah, with that study, I believe that they were just straight up using gamma frequencies. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that paper, yeah, you can find, I can't remember the first author on the paper, but if you, if whoever's listening, you can look up Ed Large, Psyche Louie, uh, Alzheimer's gamma. You'll find that, but you'll find that paper. It's it's out there. It was published last last year. So. Awesome. Well, I'm gonna I'll put it in the show notes. Um, yeah. So I saw you mention on Instagram um, Omar Hayam, which I, I wasn't aware of him either. Um, but you know, it sounds like he was this Persian mathematician, polymath, uh, sort of poet. And like, I love the idea of like poetry and math sort of being like something that one person could do as like their things. Um, so, uh, I'm curious how this like poetry, uh, and all that, like was able to seep in and you mentioned like the spoken rhythms aloud and how you translated that in. Um, and I'm curious just on a kind of like nitty gritty practical level, how that, uh, translates. Yeah. So I got into him because my dad had this quote on his high school yearbook photo of this quatrain that. I was interested in and it was something like yeah it's it's the the focus is yesterday's 7,000 years and I think that's a reference to I think that's a biblical reference if I'm not mistaken but I feel like the purpose of the quatrain is basically like you should enjoy life because we don't have a lot of time here <laughs> so mm -hmm. um and then uh so I started reading the Rubiat and when I was at McDowell which is where I was that's a sort of artist residency in New Hampshire. And I was there right after my dad died. I almost didn't go. And then when I was there, a lot of people who were there, you know, there were dancers and visual artists and uh, journalists and authors. Um, and they were like, you should read these poetry books. Um, I th think it'll really help you. And I was like, no, I don't want to. <laughs> and then I was thinking, about, oh yeah, my dad with this this poet and so then I went and found online you know some translations of the Rubiat and I mean I know it's originally sort of written in probably in Farsi or something like that so me reading these quatrains out loud in English is probably not exactly how they really sounded <laughs> but I wasn't about to try to learn go through that you know learning language and like trying to hear it and stuff but um but yeah it was almost like okay, this, I'm going to do this routine every day, read aloud from the thing. And it was calming to me. It was a little therapeutic. And it sort of allowed me to think, I'm connecting with my dad or a past version of my dad through this portal. And so it became, that idea of a portal came right then. And that was like, that's the name of my record. And that's going to be the name of the next record too, because my grandmother was a poet. So hmm. that's also another sort of sideline to all of this because she was, she was a poet. She started writing poetry later in life, probably in her 50s and maybe 40s and, and more more um, more professionally in her 40s and 50s. But I feel like maybe she started earlier, but her poems, they were OK. Um, there's a few that are really good and I've sort of pulled those out. But the idea for the next record is that I'm kind of attempting to talk with her through this portal of trying to understand why she didn't maybe go deeper into certain emotional and physical ideas because she went through the war in England. And so there are little glimpses of that pain, but she didn't really put it very harshly into her work. And so mm. I'm just, why didn't you do that? And that's my portal with her. But my portal with my father was like, how can I really enjoy life? And so the poetry aspect of really getting lewd or just kind of enjoying like the lewdness of life with with omar Khayyam, he, he kind of talks about always like drinking wine and like enjoying yourself and like i don't know i just kind of imagine him laying somewhere <laughs> and 
really sort of like the lewdness and and sexuality and just being mm-hmm. being a part of the life and having a good time and that part of it for me was a, uh you know why i was enjoying that poetry at that moment because i just had to be that way mm-hmm. um so and then the rhythmic stuff yeah sometimes i would get stuck on a quatrain or a phrase i would get stuck on a phrase and so i would just say yesterday seven thousand years yesterday seven thousand years yesterday seven thousand years and that would could be something for me to translate to a piece and sometimes in for those days I was there, I would just repeat some of those rhythms. And that's very ther- therapeutic, repeating rhythms, you know. Mm-hmm. As we know from drum circles and other, you know, candomblé ceremony, all these kinds of ceremonies that ancient healers go through when they're practicing their art form and their healing form of life. So that was sort of the way I went about that. And so then I would record myself and I took some of those phrases to put in this piece, Yesterday 7,000 Years. Um, when I read the thing about uh, speaking aloud and sort of like taking the rhythm from that, I thought of like Henry Hayes, like hilarious transcriptions of political stuff. If you've heard yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. The George W. Bush. That one. Yeah, I remember the incredible. George W. Bush one from years ago when we all hated George W. Bush. <laughs> <laughs> and now we were replaced with someone more awful, but, um, yeah. but yeah, he, his stuff is really great. And there's a handful of other people like Mono Neon. <laughs> yeah. And- he does that and his are really great i love i love how he'll take commercials of people talking or news clips mm-hmm. from the news oh man they're so good really good uh, hearing your record though it doesn't seem like that's quite your approach maybe like maybe it's a little bit more gestural or something it's more, it's more gestural and it has to do with sort of accent structure so okay. that kind of pulling out that stuff and if yeah for that piece yesterday seven thousand years you'll hear kind of like this it's an angular melody and so like some of the notes pop out and that's for me that was where the emphasis came from sort of that lilting uh, feeling that we get from reading poetry you know or or any rap music for that matter mm-hmm. um this is kind of a, a stupid question but uh since we're talking about like sort of the the mood that you're conveying with the album um, i'm curious if you're familiar with the the australian death metal band portal <laughs> oh no actually <laughs> i should check that out it's the most terrifying sounding music I've ever heard. Like uh, it's, I don't know how they do it, but it's, it's like, like four horror movies layered on top of each other. It's, uh, wow. it's very interesting, but yeah, they're great, but crazy. Um, and the From lead Australia? singer has, like, sorry. Australia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the lead singer wears a clock on his head a lot of the time. Wow. It's called the curator. It's a, a big trip. It's, it's weird stuff, but. Um, like on top of his head or just covering his face yeah it's like a like a clock mask that goes up like this <laughs> wow i really have to check this out <laughs> it's a, yeah it's very performative uh nice i, I love that stuff and i'm actually working to do some of that performative um i started working on that at mcdowell two years ago but in 2019 but i'm working on a bit of the theatrical component of working with these materials and textures playing solo so i love that <laughs> i love the idea of that mm-hmm. uh let's see here's so i i'm also curious uh like this is a much larger ensemble uh than i'm used to doing like uh you know you mentioned alula and that's like i i absolutely love that record um and i love how it's like so bare bones but this is like you know it has like a string quartet it has piano it has um so i'm curious if that's something that's like natural for you or if, like what that progression from like a tiny ensemble to a larger ensemble is like uh for you as a an orchestrator and a composer yeah i mean this was my first time writing extensively for strings and so i had to go into a few um books to check out all of the range and what's possible trying my best at writing things and talking to people is this possible can i do this and a lot of the times i was looking for certain sounds um, and textures and so learning the right language for that learning the right italian language for that um <laughs> the musical tradition but yeah it, it's it takes so much longer i would say to write for the larger ensemble if you're looking to have all the parts sort of be independent um, and I was looking for a combination of the independence and this is a string quartet, but this is also a string quartet. This is not a string quartet. This is like four extra components to this quintet that I've been working with for 
a couple of years now. Um, so that was really for me. I wasn't like, let me hire a string quartet and have them be in addition to this thing. I want mm -hmm. all of us to be integrated into the mix of things. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, it was a challenge because I felt like I worked out a lot of the seeds of ideas and I was like, okay, what would sound the best with this profile of frequency? Like, okay, I mean, let's give this to the cello and like the viola together or let's give this to the cello and the violin because I, I, I kind of want you know the sandwich so high and low have the same part but then the middle are paired with the saxophone and the trumpet so yeah it takes longer and it um the orchestrating I had to take another a week sort of a way to get everything written in the right way so I went to the and, beach wrote there <laughs> oh nice <laughs> uh it I mean, it sounds like there's some improvised parts as well for them. Uh, is the ensemble of string people that you chose, um, are they all sort of comfortable improvising or is that something that you like sort of like, like, hey, try this? Yeah, I chose all of those musicians because of how incredible they are at improvising. So I, I wanted that to be a big part of it rather than, you know, you could go the other route, which is extremely, um, I think this this way to go is also really great but you could get a string quartet that's you know have been working together for years and they have an established name and they can nail the parts and everything is going to sound perfect and that is a wonderful method of doing things as well because then they have an ensemble um sort of uh they have a collaborative aspect they've been sort of honing in on for for a long time but instead of that i sort of it's like I would rather just kind of like pick and choose my favorite improvisers and put them on here because I really care more about the improvising. I would say right. I care more about the improvising than I do the parts, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so because I I think that's the most exciting part about making music is the improvising. So so yeah, I okay. just chose Joanna is an incredible violist who I've heard and played with before and had always wanted to work with her. Mariel Roberts. I had worked with her in the Lee Conan's nonet, but she wasn't improvising in that context. But I kind of heard her, you know, writing her own music and improvising in her own ways. And I was like, wow, I really want to work with her. Maz Swift, I've known for a long time, but we hadn't had the chance to work together. And I'm just a complete fan of hers in terms of her improvising and her music. And the person I knew the least, but is also really incredible, is Josh Henderson. And he's been touring with so many different projects over the years. and. I had seen some videos of him and been like, I really want to work with him. So I was really happy all of them could do it. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I mean, it definitely sounds like, uh, it doesn't sound like a string quartet was tagged on. Like it sounds like it was integrated. Like it sounds like you were trying to do so. That's a yeah. nice, um, let's see here. I'm curious. So like the, the oscillation series that you've been doing on uh, Instagram is really interesting and like, I actually just saw right before this, I was like, I looked at the first one, I was like, oh, three against two, those were the days, um, <laughs> you know, versus like eight against nine against seven. And um, like, that's a pretty interesting woodshed to like have on display for people. And I'm curious if like that, like what else does your woodshed look like sort of uh, for like musicians that are, you know, interested in practicing a lot and being good? Uh, is there anything that you can share that sort of, uh, maybe inspiring or intriguing to us? Yeah, I mean, I do the same um, maintenance that I think a lot of horn players do, which is I do long tones. I mean, my practice sessions are about two hours a day, and I do long tones for like usually 20 minutes. I'll do long tones, and I'll try to do that when my partner's not around because <laughs> it's loud. <laughs> and I'm, you know, luckily we live uh not surrounded by people so that's good i mean there are people still in the building but it we're kind of on the top floor and no one's around on all the sides but just below so that's good um so i do the long tones and i work on overtones on the saxophone i work on technical exercises i'm working on this warren marsh i don't know if anyone's seen the book a jazz life and it's written by one of warren marsh's student previous students um whose name is John, I feel like Kikowski or something like that. Mm. Um, 
and I have to look that up. But anyway, he wrote this book and he included all these exercises that Warren Marsh gave him to practice. And so I'm practicing some of those technical exercises and some of them are really easy, like anyone could do them. I think the one I'm working on now is do 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 that in time and with the metronome. Um and then you invert it. Like you just invert it when you come down. So that's that. And I'll work on those technical exercises for like 20 minutes also a day. And sometimes the technical exercises take the form of an etude. So I was working on the Paganini flute etudes, but just not transposing them and working on them as I, as they would be played in the same fingering style as a flute, but on saxophone. Um, let's see. And then I usually work on oscillations for 20 to 25 minutes a day because it's just a daily, it's a daily practice for me. So I'll work on really, essentially it's these polyrhythms, but they're played in harmonically. So I'm, you know, playing them. They're not played harmonically, like at the same time. So going back and forth between them. So that's why I'm saying in harmonically. Um, and then the rest of the hour, the other hour is improvising. So I'm working on three sections, so 20 minutes each of a different idea. So right now I'm working on a solo set, so I'm working with my electronics and so loop station and sampler, and I also have a the audio game changer plus pedal, which is really like a sustained pedal, so you can play chords for yourself. Um, and then I have my line six pedal, so you know, I'm sort of work practicing that <laughs> for the whole hour. But usually I'll, you know, it'll be like, okay, I'm practicing this song for 20 minutes and improvising over that structure. Or I'm using this rhythm that's, you know, 15 beats and I'm trying to practice within this 15 beat rhythm for 20 minutes. And I'm improvising with that and making sure that I'm staying within the beat structure of 15 beats, which is hard, you know? Mm-hmm. And then for the other 20 minutes, maybe I'll play, um, maybe I'll play over a tune or something like a jazz canon tune. You know, I was just working on nobody else but me the other day for 20 minutes. And so that's pretty much what my practice sessions look like. Nice. Um, it, I, I, it's funny, when I was listening to Portals, I did hear a 15, I think. There's a 15 somewhere in there, right? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, and I was just kind of jealous because, like, I remember being in college, you know, I'm in Los Angeles, and, like, I, I would put, like, an 11 somewhere, and people would just be like, yeah, we aren't going to play with you anymore. <laughs> and so I'm like, is this just a New York thing where people are willing to do this out there? Like, I mean, it's it's possible. I feel like if you, <laughs> if you keep searching, you can find people who are willing to do that anywhere. You know, I feel, you know, I feel like maybe there's just more people out here. It might just be that. I mean, there's so many people here. So I think it really just comes down to more people, more people willing to, mm-hmm. <laughs> and gotcha. less people, less people willing to. But I feel like you can find people if you keep looking anywhere. I mean, anywhere you live. I'm just making an excuse for why people don't want to play with me. So, um, yeah. uh, so uh, you also like it sounds like you bring in outside influences like um, you know like anatomy, neuroscience, psychology, and um, like, I'm curious, you know, I read that the, the Lula wing is like this locomotive uh, part of the wing structure. And so um, I just generally like birds and like ornithology and like there are a bunch of crazy birds in my neighborhood that I am just like, whoa, there's actually like a parrot across the street that is very well trained that is always going crazy. And so um, I'm, I'm just curious how you sort of incorporate things from like the world of birds into compositions. Yeah, that that album and at that time of my life, I was, you know, I was trying to get I'm I'm so bad. I feel like sometimes I try to get into things and then I'm really excited about it and then I just don't. But I was reading (laughs) Sibley Bird, the Sibley Guide to Birds, which, you know, for people who want to it's kind of a basic book for people who want to get into bird watching. And I'm like, I'm going to get into bird watching and I have not gotten to bird watching. So I need to get, you know, a set of binoculars. and I need to actually go to a bird watching class, which they have some in the park that's right next to where I live. So I have no excuse, but I was reading about this Alula structure with these, um, the series of bones and feathers. And I was like, wow, what an interesting feather that sort of like pops out. <laughs> and you see it like, and you see it in these pictures of birds that are, you know, landing or taking off or gliding. You see this little, this little popped up 
group of feathers in the bone sort of there and you're like that's that's the alua that's there to control the process of taking off and landing and gliding and it's just there for that otherwise actually when you read about that structure in other books they call it the bastard wing because it's Mm. like this thing that's not necessarily like needed i'm like this is so offensive this word and like the the way that (laughs) anyway um the way people think about this so anyway i started reading some papers and that were way above my head but i was like i'm I'm determined to read about what this structure does and like okay this is for this is the alula on like the grackle and like what happens this you know on the, the alula of of like a hawk why is it different how is it different how is the math different um so then i started focusing on one bird and i took a lot of the numbers from the ratio between the bones and the feather and i use those in my in like the one song wing beat um to write i use like certain number of pitches in the top voice versus a certain number of pitches in the low voice um and that was like the inspiration for using that math in that composition and then in other places i was using some of the some of the other ratios that i found in these papers i really literally took the ratio and then how can I write something based on it's very simple I just took the numbers and like okay this number of pitches or I took the numbers and I made a rhythm based out of the ratio so it's it's a simple thing anybody could do but um but yeah so it to me it's always helpful to bring something else from outside of music in Uh, it makes things more interesting for me um to to especially for writing you know Mm -hmm. Um, I, I spoke with David David Rothenberg. I don't know. I can't say his name. David Rothenberg, and uh, he, you know, he's like done these collaborations with cicadas and stuff, and like wow. uh, that is like a like the whole seventeen year cycle. And so I'm I'm curious as somebody who's like engaged on a creative level, like, do you have any sense of why somebody would like or why a, an insect would emerge only seventeen years, like it's a prime number? Like, is there any sort of like uh interesting thing to you in that realm like uh yeah it's you know, funny. 17 year cycles yeah it's funny you should mention david rothenberg because i was just ordering the why bird sing book i'm really interested i mean i'm starting to try to maybe get back into the um idea of of like working with birds because i really want to do another alula record so um i'm he's an inspiration so that's so cool that you were able to talk with him and i look forward to seeing that um but yeah i started sort of getting and we were talking a little or you were talking a little bit about this when you were writing to me but like these different cycles the like ultra ultra radian and like circadian rhythms and Mm -hmm. um and so but i haven't really yeah with david's stuff that sounds like he's more applying it to like when they come back around when they appear again right is that right? I, yeah, I think he just gets to put out an album with them as a guest uh, every 17 years. So, <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's so funny. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, but yeah, the idea of, yeah, like the ultradian rhythms and circadian rhythms and how we're kind of not perceptive of them. And even also, I, I know you have done work and we're talking about sort of menstrual cycles, too, for 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 people who identify as females and who have that anatomy and just sort of being, I mean, some people very aware of that and how Mm -hmm. it maybe interact, maybe also interacts with cycles of the moon. I know I've talked to a lot of people about that and some people just kind of not being aware, like, oh, I was total, or maybe their cycles are more erratic. So they are always surprised by when it comes through. But Mm -hmm. it's interesting to me to think about in music we're always dealing with shorter cycles of time right space but yeah it's interesting to me to think about the longevity of that like waiting for the 19 year cycle to start again or like what what happens in that resting time you know Mm -hmm. it's interesting to me to think about and i don't really know a lot about it and i'm um i'm just interested to know how we can be more aware of those things or how Mm -hmm the natural idea of 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 the cycle coming back around or us wanting that to come back around could be something that we could be attuned to but you should tell me about your work a little bit because i know you were like talking about that well yeah i guess like uh i i've been interested in this idea of like i'm calling it meta music even though everybody 
says meta everything and so i don't have a better name for it other than like macroscopic music but like um like i've been like interested in like sort of like you know cryptocurrencies and like seeing like these like waveforms and it's like this is very musical and like nobody wants to see it like that uh, because they're like it has to do with money and economics but it's Mm -hmm. like it's a big old waveform and i'm just like this is like a a melody that is just only going to be heard by a giant um who like isn't really on our sense of time or actually like uh, talking to you david rothenberg you mentioned like whales and like how they have this vocalization where you know you hear it as a human and you're like okay so it's like every once in a while but then you speed it up and you see that's exactly in rhythm and so it's like whoa um like they just have a sense of rhythm that's slowed way down wow that's yeah. so cool what how much does he have to speed it up i think that in i think it comes up every two minutes or so and so like when you speed it up you know by you know 120 that's like every second um i wonder if they feel subdivisions and so that's like my next question is because when i was just teaching this workshop at uconn i was talking about practicing i had been practicing at five beats per minute and I put the metronome on and I was like, this is five. <laughs> I was like, this is so hard, you know? I mean, 10 yeah. started getting easier for me now, but it's because I'm subdividing, you know? And five gets easier because I'm subdividing. So, but to feel five naturally is so insane. Totally. And yeah, to go back to the, the menstrual cycle thing, like, uh, it makes no sense to talk about it in terms of hertz, but it's like, you know, 0.000000 something hertz. And uh, like, I, it doesn't make sense to put it in those terms. So I think that's kind of interesting because it's like there is some sort of dynamic regularity to it. And like our, our like calendar months are like, it's like, that's like, you know, New York person time signatures that LA people aren't going to be willing to deal with. Like 29 this time, 31 this time, like, like really complicated, but uh like a human biological cycle is like it has like the ability to entrain and do all this interesting stuff and so um i feel like there's something musical in there that people aren't seeing um you know just because i guess we aren't big enough to like be timeless that way you know yeah yeah i really wonder about these things in terms Um, of subdivision and how we feel it naturally with the uh the cicada thing in the 17 years uh like i was asking him why why that's the case and um i think there are a few different theories and like part of it was like since 17 is a prime number it like gets out of phase with other predator cycles and so it might have them some sort of survival instinct but then he said like oh no these japanese scientists have figured this out now and like it's probably the best of the three options of what it is but um, I don't know, it's just kind of interesting, like, uh, it makes me interested then in prime numbers and, uh, you know, there's a lot of interesting sort of non-musical stuff to be, like, influenced by there. Right, because, and, and because the biological rhythms will also influence, like, your metabolism and your heart rate mm-hmm. and hormone levels and how much you go to the bathroom and, like, your body temperature and your blood mm-hmm. pressure and heart rate, it's all connected to those rhythms are connected to the other biological rhythms that are in the body. So there must be another frequency component. Absolutely. Absolutely. Whether that frequency component is perceived as a a beating in time, or if it's a frequency that we, I mean, there must be a frequency because there's frequency in everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I I feel like there's some sort of new age uh, territory to go down here. Uh, but I, I won't. <laughs> um, I mean, so, I'm into it. I'm into the, all that stuff. My dad was really into seeing different kinds of healers. Um, but I'm really, I'm really into that way of of looking at the world. But I think, I think a lot of people are skeptical of it because they don't perceive it. They don't perceive frequency. So it's like. Mm-hmm who's with their face or they're standing in front of the microwave i don't know if you've like a lot of parents like don't stand in front of the microwave there's these like harmful waves that you know can influence your can i don't know influence your body and like your brain it's like no you can't see them (laughs) 
mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember. Remember when microwaves weren't safe? You know. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's funny. I, I heard from somebody who's like a, a big anti-aging person that like actually it's like the best way to cook food or something. So I'm like, I don't know what to believe wow. anymore. Yeah. So I know. I, I really. I know. I know. Because actually, I just don't have a microwave. Funny enough, because we just heat food up on the stove and there's not a room for it. So anyway, mm-hmm. I don't enough. hate microwaves. Do I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you want to use a microwave, you can use a microwave. Anyway, sorry. Moving on. <laughs> um, well, uh, we're getting up on an hour, so I don't want to take up too much of your time. But I just uh, I'm curious, you know, you have a Ph.D. in music cognition. That's correct, correct? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm somebody that's like sort of interested in like eventually going into maybe not music cognition per se, but like some sort of nearby field. And I'm wondering if there's any sort of like big picture or bird's eye view uh, wisdom that you can give me or other people. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so music cognition sort of came out of work of many different researchers over hundreds of years. I mean, we can go back to like. Aristotle, and I mean, we can go back to some of the philosophers, Plato, who were already kind of studying music back then, Socrates, and the idea of like the music of the planets, Um, Mm -hmm. and then kind of moving forward into like enlightenment and people looking more into the body. Um, Helmholtz was a really wonderful researcher sort of in the 19th century who was involved looking at cochlea structure Mm. and also studying consonants and dissonance. Um, And then I think a a lot of people started getting together and collecting all of this work and sort of saying like, "Ah, what can we could we start a new, I mean, it wasn't like there was a meeting, but I feel like a lot of people sort of at the same time were starting programs and inside of either music departments or psychology departments and calling them, calling those programs, you know, cognitive science of music or music cognition or whatever. So I just sort of like gave you a fast description of what, how it came about, but there were also acousticians who were interested in acoustics only. So physicists, and the perception of frequency and time-based things like Al Bregman is a big one for, mm. if you're taking like a intro it's to like, music cognition class. It's like auditory scene analysis? Or is that yes, somebody exactly. with a similar name? Okay. That's, that's it. That's him, yeah. So he, you know, under, was really interested in Gestalt psychology, mm. um, sort of this like German model of how we organize the world and how we parse things out. And why are these sounds sounding like a melody when it's really like one musician playing them? And, um, it's, you know, it's because it's separated by enough space. So it's like the law of proximity or the law of mm. whatever it is, all these different like Gestalt laws. And he sort of applied some of that to the sound realm. Anyway, so there's people like that. Or Carol Crumhansel is a very big person who looks at, um, pitch profiles so like why she kind of put things on the map like how do people organize a tonal system and she did all these experiments and showed that like octaves were important to understanding like the one chord or um tonal harmony has to do with the four and the five chords or if you're into the roman numeral analysis and diana deutsch was really interested in like um auditory illusion so why do we hear certain things in this way so she looked at the tritone paradox and so there's all these people kind of coming together from different aspects of psychology and um, music and I would say that there are some really great programs around including the one that I went to at Northwestern which is housed in the theory department and also there is an interesting place to be because Nina Krauss is in um, sort of the neuroscience and acoustics lab over there, auditory neuroscience lab, and she does a lot of work with music, and her work is important to understanding how out there there's sound, but actually in here, the sound looks almost identical, so somehow we have this transcription process that allows us to hear exactly mm. what's going on out there, and if you record what the brain is hearing, it looks like the profiles are almost identical and that's amazing you know she kind of and she's done a lot of other things too but so northwestern is a really interesting place because you can kind of be like all right i'm a musician i get this degree but i also could go over here to the auditory neuroscience people and work with them in their lab um 
And I worked with a really wonderful cognitive scientist there named Doug Medine, who was interested in um, culture and how people organize information based on their cultural upbringing. And that was hmm. my dissertation work. So I feel like if you're going into that field, if you're interested in pairing cognition or neuroscience or acoustics or physics with music, I feel like the way to go is you find a researcher or a group of researchers that is exciting and interesting to you and you find out a lot of the times they're teaching at universities you find out where they're at and you go and you study with them um okay. and that's sort of what what i did and i think that's a really great way to get involved because the field is small um and it has very many kind of outlets and there's a lot of people in europe and japan and korea i have a good friend who teaches music cognition in korea and australia there's a bunch of people studying there in um, Glasgow and Scotland. There's Raymond McDonald, who studies improvising and group dynamics. There's Jane Davidson, who used to be in England, or used to be in Australia and now is in England. She studies group dynamics and gender. So there's people sort of everywhere. But I feel like is, you know, the, the idea of like a program that's going to encapsulate everything won't be the case. So if okay. that's helpful in any I think you got to find like, it's kind of like going to music school where you want to study with a certain person. And so you go to that school because you want to study with Nadia Boulangeri or <laughs> you want to study with Stravinsky at, you know, at this university in California that he's teaching at or something. But it's a similar kind of rule for, for music cognition. So, so and seek then out like a mentor. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's music therapy too. And that's a more clinical approach. And there are many music therapy programs out there. I know there's one, I think at Temple, um, that a good friend of mine went to, and they're all over the place. There's a good music cognition program or people kind of working in that realm of music theory at the University of Texas, North, North Texas. Um, there's some people at Ann Arbor, Northwestern. There's in Montreal, uh, a really wonderful group of people. There's other people in Canada, um, Sandra Treehub. Yeah, there's tons of people. So yeah, you kind of just have to find who you're into and what you're into because the mm -hmm. field is very big. And like, if you want to study babies and how babies, you know, uh, navigate the world, then you find those people and you go there to, to do that. And so hopefully that's helpful to anyone. Yeah, totally, absolutely. <laughs> um, is there anything that you sort of wish that you knew uh, in retrospect uh, to inform your own sort of uh, education in the on that path? I, I mean, I don't have regrets, I guess. I'm, I, when I got my PhD, I, well, I came straight from an undergraduate program where my, the lab I worked in, I got a psychology degree. Um, and I worked for a wonderful researcher named Ira Bernstein, who introduced me to music cognition. And he encouraged me and I was like, I really want to pursue this. So I applied to a few different universities. And, um, I was really applying to a master's degree and then Northwestern offered me the PhD program. And so I was like, let's go for it. You know, nice. Chicago's cool. Um, I love the research that's happening at Northwestern and the people there. So I wanted to go for that. And uh, yeah, I would say that I followed that path of finding the researchers who I was really interested in working with and staying in touch with all of the other people through conferences and networking. Um, yeah, I would say also some advice that I, I did myself, but is definitely go to the conferences. There's like okay. the international uh, ICMPC, International Conference for Music Perception and Cognition. There's SMPC, Society for Music Perception and Cognition. Um, there's all sorts of organizations that hold conferences. So if you want to get a sense of the field, that's a good place to start and or to understand where you might fit in. Because um, there would be a whole panel on babies, for example, or there's a whole panel on dissonance, or there's a whole panel on mm -hmm. physics, or maybe a whole day on acoustics and physics. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, yeah, and then you find your people, just like any other kind of realm of work in life. I would say also one thing that is hard to see is, <clears throat> and just from a social justice kind of standpoint, I, I would like to see just more representation of different mm -hmm. kinds and diversity of, of researchers. So there's not a lot of people of color. There's not, a, there are a good amount of women in the field and people who identify um, not as male and um, 
but yeah, I would say the diversity in terms of race and culture is pretty bad. Um, but mm -hmm. I hope that will change. I hope that will change. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I, I guess I'll let you go. Uh, is there anything else that you want to talk about real quick before we sign off? Not really. I'm, yeah, I feel like we talked about a lot. Yes. And yeah, if there's any questions, I'm always available to for anyone to contact and always loved having these conversations. And I love collaborating with people on projects or collaborate. I'm starting thinking about collaborating with people to write certain things in terms of text, not music, but um, well, I love collaborating with people writing music too, but mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway, but I love, I've started to think about that. Like, what does it look like to pass back and forth things out there in cyberspace of writing totally. about certain philosophical aspects of life or scientific aspects of life and to find a community of people to, and I've been doing that through Instagram and my website, just writing blurbs that I'm interested in asking questions because I'm really mm -hmm. interested in how people think about these things. Um, people out there. I hate the word lay people. So I'm trying to think about a different <laughs> term. People out there <laughs> is my, is my word. <laughs> I've previously said that this podcast uh, has no interest in appeasing the lay person, but uh, <laughs> you know, I think that this will appease all people this conversation. Um, so uh, I, I should mention also that we, you know, we talked mostly about portals and a little bit about Lula, but you also have like a ton of other new music out that I sort of glossed over because um, I just wanted to talk about like the, the newer uh, album. But uh, yeah, everybody should check it out. Bandcamp, uh, your website, Instagram, all that. Yeah, um, it's such a good time to support artists because we're still kind of like jumpstarting life still, you know, it's totally. we're still in the middle of the pandemic and show a lot of injustice out there so keep supporting artists everybody as much as you yeah, can absolutely cool well caroline davis thanks so much for talking to me this is a great conversation and i'll talk to you in the future hopefully thank you so much john yeah i'll talk to you later awesome yeah